0: Well, please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we are making our way kind of through the Pentateuch here, and we're returning to our study, kind of laying some foundational truths about the law. We are in uh, part four of three parts, or we are in part two of part three, or I guess you could call it the Christian and the Old Covenant Part 4, Part 2, Part 3, and I can't make it any more clear than that. So uh, we are there, and we're we're talking about just some foundational things to help us as we lay the foundation to to talk about the law and about how we're going to explore that as believers. We are believers who are not under the Old Covenant, but under the, the New Covenant. So what does that mean? How do we as part of the New Covenant approach the Old Covenant, do we just say, well, this this part of the Bible is, uh, you know, it's kind of not necessary anymore, it's not interesting for us anymore, nothing to be gleaned for uh, from it anymore, how do we approach it? And so we're going to be talking about those things. As you're kind of, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, just as we, we read Scripture together, there's a, a passage in there that I think is helpful for us as we think about some things uh, this morning, but as you turn there. I just want to remind you of some things uh, Mike mentioned earlier. First of all, we'd love to have you come and be a part of our Sunday night service this evening. We're going to be talking. Mike is going to be talking about biblical theology and just some some the importance of sound doctrine and understanding uh, these these truths about God. And I think it's going to be a great time, as it always is, in Sunday evening service. Uh, We're going to be meeting at the. Uh, church building, so join us there on Dutch Lane. And then also uh, at Dutch Lane, tomorrow we're going to be having our, our Gospel Institute classes. There are some classes there helping us understand how to disciple one another through counseling. We, I'd really encourage you to, to at least be exposed to our biblical counseling ministry, and this, this class is a great way to do that Kent will be kind of leading and others will be teaching uh, some of those those classes on uh, Monday night six o'clock and then I'll, I'll also be teaching a class on teaching uh, I think it's very important that we have people in our church who know how to communicate God's word and even if you'd say well I'm not really ready to do that and encourage you to, to consider being a part of that I'd also would encourage uh, the ladies in our church to to think about attending that class we need in our church women who are equipped to proclaim God's truth and the the settings in which and the the ministries in which God has called you to do that. And so we think it's important for us to be good stewards of of the women in our church. And so sometimes uh, I think in our church um, that that those women can sometimes neglect that gifting and using it in those areas in which God has called them. So we encourage you to consider being a a part of that uh, tomorrow evening. It's not too late to come and be a part of that tomorrow evening. You can sign up Uh, today on our website or um, I don't know if I should say this or you can just show up tomorrow we might have to make a couple extra copies of things but that's okay you can also sign up during the day tomorrow I'm really going to get in trouble for that one that's okay where are we first Corinthians nine and if you would or we're going to begin in verse uh, verse 19 and so if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning of verse 19, Paul is talking about his rights as an apostle and what he's chosen to do for the sake of the gospel. And then he says this, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You may be seated. May God encourage us, continue to encourage us as we worship him this morning. And Father, we do ask now that as we turn our attention to your word, you would, you would guide us, direct us, change us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The first part of Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables, is about a priest if you have seen the musical *Les Mis*, you know that there's a, a priest kind of at the beginning, but he kind of plays this the small role. But in Hugo's novel, chapter after chapter is devoted to this priest. Uh, it's like fifteen over fifteen chapters just talk about him and his uh, his work and his character and his labors of love. He's just a, a a priest that Hugo seems to really have an affection for, and there's there's kind of Several little snippets of his life, and sometimes Hugo will, will talk page after page about some incident that illustrates this priest's character. Sometimes there'll just be a, a couple of sentences. And there's this, this one scene that, that really stuck with me. I haven't finished the whole novel yet. I'm kind of still in the beginning, but there's this one scene that, that really is, is beautiful. Uh, this, this priest is going around, and he's trying to collect money for the poor. And he encounters this individual that Hugo describes as a wealthy and avaricious old man, a wealthy and greedy old man. And the priest approaches this man and he says, Sir, you must give me something. The old man responds, I have poor enough of my own. To which the priest replies, Well, give them to me. Give them to me. In other words, if if the poor are such a burden on you, give those to me. That's what you can give me. And, And in that response of the priest, we see, A heart that is not engaging in care of others for some sort of legalistic reason, but he's engaging in this care for others because he he loves them. He sees their value. What we see in that response by that man is, is law without legalism. Law without legalism. In other words, we see a, a person and, and I don't Hugo was not a believer to, to the best of my knowledge, but we, we see in this, this character that Hugo creates, a person who operates the way that you and I should. You and I are part of this new covenant. We're not part of the Old Covenant anymore. We're not under the Old Testament law. We're not under the Mosaic law. We're part of this New Covenant. And as part of this New Covenant, we're, we're, we're still under God's law. We're under what the New Testament describes as the law of Christ, sometimes described as the law of love. How do we, who are part of the, the law of Christ, fulfill it? You and I fulfill the law of Christ, we see in the New Testament, by loving others and that's kind of what we're going to begin to look at this morning how does a person how does a new covenant believer fulfill the law well we do it by by faith in jesus christ and and we fulfill the law that he's called us to obey by by loving one another and so now how do we, who are under this law of Christ, approach the Old Covenant? How do we come to these Old Testament passages? Well, we we come to them, and as we, under the law of Christ, as we look at them, we see, okay, here's God's character revealed. Here's who God is. Here is his um, his his pointing us to his son, Jesus Christ. And we approach the Old Testament, this Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, and we encounter these truths about God's character and his son Jesus revealed and we who are part of this law of Christ apply it to our lives. Let me just very, very quickly let you know where we are. I'm not going to, to touch on anything very deeply that we've already talked about. Um, I encourage you to listen to, to previous messages, but we, um, we've we got to get through this this morning. We're moving on, Lord willing, and you know. Just going to trust the Lord. There are pages that I'm going to skip over today, and we're, we're at the end of our time together at 1130 or whenever it is, uh, we're just going to say we're done, okay? But remind, just remember what we've talked about, we, and I encourage you to look at previous messages. We've talked about where are we and where are we going in the book of Exodus and the Pentateuch. We've uh, said what does the word law mean it's a question we asked. We asked what are some different approaches to understanding the relationship between the Christian and the Old Covenant. We asked what is the purpose of the law? Then one of the questions that we have spent several weeks looking at is what are some principles that help us understand and apply the Mosaic Law and the Old Covenant? So if we are New Covenant Christians, if we are under the law of Christ, how do we then go to the Old Testament and apply it in our lives? And here are some principles that we've looked at already. We saw that the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic Law is God's Word We saw that the law did not bring salvation. Even in the Old Testament, a person wasn't saved by keeping the law, but by by having faith in God and his promised Messiah. Thirdly, we saw that the law was given to a specific people at a specific time. Fourthly, we saw the law proclaims the gospel and is fulfilled by Christ. We also saw that the law was misunderstood and perverted by the people to whom it was given. And then we came to this section, the Christian The Christian is not under the Old Covenant and therefore not bound by the Mosaic Law. You and I, as Christians, are not under the Old Covenant and therefore we're not bound by the Mosaic Law. And there's a lot we talked about last week about that and what it means that the law is fulfilled in Christ, how he brings it to fulfillment. Here's what I want to do this morning because this is such an important point and it's so important for us to understand our relationship to the Old Testament law. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles a little nervous about this, Um, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. And we're going to spend some time going through the book of Galatians and and looking at what Paul says about the law. So it's after all the Corinthians, and then you uh, get to the book of Galatians. And uh, let's start in Galatians chapter 2. And I want to lay out the situation we see Paul encountering in Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul comes, and he's talked in Galatians 2 about his own testimony, his own relationship with the gospel, and how he received this gospel from God himself, and he's talked about how precious the gospel message is, and then he describes this, this situation that he encountered with, with Cephas, or with Peter, the apostle Peter kind of this this tense situation he had. Verse 11, it says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, and Antioch was a place which that the Christians were were primarily Gentile, one of the first places in which Gentiles received the gospel. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, that's the, the believers in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back, And separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you... Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's the issue that Paul is struggling with. He is in this church primarily made of Gentiles, but there are also some Jews there, and there are some Jews that come up from Jerusalem and begin to talk to the people and say, hey, look, if if you want to do this Christian thing as Gentiles, apparently that's okay you know, there, there have been testimony. We've, we've seen that, that you've received the Holy Spirit. We've seen that, that you can become a Christian too. Kind of a little surprised about that, but, but, you know, the timing is God's. That's fine. But what you need to do is now you need to become a Jew. You need to become a Jew and, and live like a Jew if you want to really progress in the Christian faith. And Paul says that even Cephas begins to pull away from the Gentiles and, and not sit with those and eat with those who are Gentiles and, and begins to pressure them as well, hey, you need to live like this. And Paul, Paul is is aghast at this because it contradicts the gospel message. A person under the new covenant comes into relationship with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And the way in which a person comes into relationship with God is the way they continue in relationship with God. That's that's the situation that Paul finds himself in, and as we continue to go through the book of Galatians, come to verse 15, and we see the, the big idea that Paul wants to communicate. He says this in verse 15. I'm not sure if this, these are still the words he's saying to Cephas or not, but they're true, regardless of the audience. He says, verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified declared righteous by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Jesus in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified Verse 19, skip down a little bit. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Then you come down to uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, and clearly now he's talking to the Galatians. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, when you became a Christian, did you say, okay, here's the Mosaic law and obey the Mosaic law, now I get the Spirit? Or, he says, was it by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? It's a theological term for stupid. Stupid. Not, not, not thinking rightly about life. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's concern is that these, these Gentile believers are suffering under the illusion that they need the Mosaic law, they, they need this Mosaic law in order to live rightly before God. So that's, that's the big idea that Paul wants them to understand. Look, a person is justified by faith a person is in relationship with god and continues in relationship with god and grows in relationship with god by faith in jesus christ apart from any works whatsoever that's that's the the big thing i want you to grasp that paul is saying what's the big thing he's saying saved and sanctified by faith not by works it's what uh, Tony prayed this morning, praising God for it's What that, that last song that Mike sang—that just that message of, of clinging to Christ, not bringing anything before God, including works of the law, even works of the Mosaic law. Now let's let's keep going through Galatians a little bit here. It, that's the big idea. Big idea: saved by faith, sanctified by faith, not by works, even works of the law. That's the big thing. Okay. Now, now listen to the. There's five things that I want you to just kind of grasp about what Paul continues to say to support that big idea, okay? So big idea, saved by faith, sanctified by faith, not works of the law, and then he's going to give kind of five, more than five, but just for the purposes of this morning, kind of five things, notice that he says, to support that big idea. One is this, you became a part of Abraham, that Jew of Jews by faith and not works. It's in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 3. He says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Know that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. How do you become a son of Abraham? You can't get more Jewish than Abraham. He's like the, the father of the Jews. So how, how do you become a part of Abraham? It's by faith, not works of the law. A second thing that Paul says here in Galatians he says, the, the person who relies upon works, even works of the law, is cursed. You See this in verses 10 through 14. All who rely, verse 10, on works of the law under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. So if a person is relying upon works of the law in order to be found righteous before God, they're cursed. Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's verse 14. A person who relies upon works, even works of the law, is, is cursed. When I was about maybe eight or nine years old, I went and, and stayed for a couple of weeks with my, my grandparents. And this was kind of the first time that I had been by myself, kind of had my own room and, and no real uh, you know, adult day-to-day supervision in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, I, grandma was there and grandpa were there, but, you know, I was able to kind of do whatever I wanted, play whenever I wanted to, um, bathe whenever I wanted to. Um, and, you know, I, th- I, I was able to eat cookies whenever I wanted to. And kind of on the last day, uh, grandma came into the room in which I had been staying and let out an audible shriek as she saw the room in which I had been staying there were cookie crumbs all over the place when we'd gone to the lake and come back I just kind of thrown wet shirts around I mean the, the place looked incredibly terrible I mean it was just it was shocking and now honestly I'm a little surprised she was that shocked I mean she had raised my father so she should have known in her you know little on her but um anyway she's she's just she's just flabbergasted and and she says something like um i i can't believe that you live this way um what would your parents say if they saw this and i could see that she was frustrated i could see that she was upset and i i felt i felt terrible because uh, i was the favorite grandson um not that there was a lot of competition, but still, I was I was a favorite, and I was just I was so deeply ups- I was a good kid. I was upset that I had upset my grandmother, and just just felt terrible about it. And realized I was like, "We, we I've ruined this relationship. I've ruined this relationship." Parents came an hour or two later after we'd gotten rid of most of the evidence of my decadent lifestyle, um, and and uh, they they came, and I thought, well, Grandma was putting on a just put on a good front right now, but boy, it's it's over. A couple months later, we were going to meet grandma at my aunt's house and I was just I was dreading it. I was dreading, it. I was like, boy, it's just it's gonna be awkward because of the you know, the issues between us. And um I can remember our family got there first, and we're kind of there in my aunt's kitchen, and grandma comes in through the garage door, and grandpa's right behind her, and she sees me, and she's Daniel, and she gives me this, this big hug and this big kiss, and I'm thinking, weird, she doesn't even remember. She didn't, it, it totally had left her mind. Grandma's love for me was not based upon how clean my room was, right? It wasn't like if, if Daniel has a clean room, then he's going to experience a grandmother's love. If he doesn't have a clean room, it's, it's off. Now, do you believe that God's love is superior to a grandmother's love? Can God outlove a, even a grandmother? Of course he can. And if a grandmother's love is not con- contingent on how clean you keep your room, how in the world can we suffer the delusion that our lives have to be a certain amount of clean before God can experience love toward us? The person who relies on a clean room for God's love is under a curse. The person who says, I, I can't do this, and relies upon God and his grace, receives God's grace. It's contra love. The person, again, what's Paul saying here? Look, you become a part of Abraham by faith and not works. The person who relies upon works, even works of the laws, is is cursed. A third thing we see that I want you to grasp that Paul says here is the law. The law, Paul says, was a temporary tool. It was a temporary tool to prepare people for Christ and the gospel. We see this in verses 15 through 24. You can look at that later in in chapter 3. But notice what he says here in verse 17, he says of chapter 3. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, that's after Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it it no longer comes by promise. In other words, look, God promised something to Abraham hundreds of years before the law came. And Abraham received it by faith. The Mosaic law that comes afterward doesn't annul the promises that God made to Abraham that says, look, the people of faith are going to receive these promises. So what was the Mosaic Law? The Mosaic Law was not the means by which you get God's promises. How do you get God's promises? By faith. What is the Mosaic Law then? He says the Mosaic Law was added because of of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promises had been made. That's verse 19. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And he says in verse 24, The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. A fourth thing that Paul says, here's look, all of us who are part of Abraham and are, all of us are, are now part of Abraham and ultimately we're part of Christ himself through faith. In other words, we're part of something bigger than that that old covenant. We see this in chapter 3 verses 25 through 29. He says in verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's now neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. The law was given after Abraham. And now now we're all part of this, 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 this one people of God. Now, here's the fifth thing that Paul says that I want you to grasp, beginning and kind of go down to, to chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Here, here's what he says. Remember, big idea, saved by faith, not works, even works of the law, sanctified by faith, not by works, even works of the law. Then what he says, this is what he says in verse, verse 8, what he's going to, of, of chapter 4, he's going to say this. Following the law, believing that you need to follow the law, is troubling because it means you don't understand why the law was even given in the first place. Following the law is troubling because it reveals that you don't understand why the law was given in the first place. He says in verse 8, of, of chapter four, when you did not go, know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not gods. Now, how much to get into here? What you're going to notice if you read through this on your own later is that he he kind of talks about the pagan practices the Gentiles were in, and he talks about the Mosaic law, and he kind of blurs some of those things together because really whether you're pagan and following these these pagan practices or you're believing you have to follow the Mosaic law, it all comes from a heart that's not pursuing God by faith. So he says, because you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, that's an interesting distinction too, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless and elementary principles of the world Whose slaves you want to be once more. You who observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. You go down to verse 21 of chapter 4. You who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? It talks about about the the slave versus the free woman. You come down in in verse 31 of chapter 4. It says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Then chapter 5 verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I testify again to everyone who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The danger is this. Those who attempt to force others to live under the Mosaic law don't understand the reason the law was given in the first place. Now, if Paul believed that it was important to follow the Mosaic law, to be a part of the Old Covenant, and to observe those regulations, This would have been a great time for him to say, oh, and by the way, circumcision, the thing from the old covenant, the sign, good thing, make sure you do it. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because the old covenant has been fulfilled and completed in the person of Jesus. The old covenant points to the person of Jesus, and now he's here, and now there's a new law, and we're under that. It's like saying, I eat Oreo cookies so that I can exercise. It's completely backwards. You exercise so you can enjoy the, the pure delight of a double-stuffed double Oreo, right? You don't eat the double-stuffed Oreo because, you know what, I just love exercising, and I need an excuse to do it. It's reversed. You don't come to Christ, you don't come to Christ, hey, I'm coming to Christ because I want to be able to obey the Mosaic law. It's reversed. You don't come to the treasure and say, okay, here's the treasure. Now I have this treasure, and I'm going to try to find a map that I can, can use because I now, now I know where the treasure is, and so I'm going to take this map and, and follow it backwards. You, you don't do that. You, the treasure map leads to the treasure the Old Testament leads to Christ, and now in Christ, the Old Testament is fulfilled. And now you come to the treasure map, and you say, oh, now I, I see it. I, I see Christ revealed. I see Christ pointed to you. I see the character of the God who created this treasure. But you don't come to the treasure to get to the treasure map. You don't eat the double-stuffed Oreos so that you can exercise. It's completely reverse thinking. You don't come to Jesus so you can go back to the law. And so many of us struggle with this. For some, it is the mosaic law, some say, Okay, I need to, to, to follow these these rules and regulations. But but for others of us, law manifests itself in other ways. For some of us, it's we're, we're moms and we say, okay, another for God to find me acceptable. I need to have my children look a certain way. For some of us, it's you know I'm a I need to read my Bible a certain number of times and in a certain way for others of us. Just fill in the blank. It's, it's, there's some sort of work we need to do in order to find God's acceptance. And, and Paul's like, no, no, that's, you, you don't understand. You don't understand. So I began reading 1 Corinthians 9. What does Paul say about the law? The, the law is this, this cultural thing now. Is it wrong to observe certain days? Is it wrong to to eat certain things or not eat certain things? Paul says, "You know what? I don't care. Eat what you want. Don't eat what you want. It's it's not an issue for me. It's a cultural thing now. But don't undermine the gospel by telling others they need to live the same way that you do. If it's not a gospel issue." Paul says, In Romans 14, the one who observes the day does it for the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It's all done to the glory of God. It's a dangerous thing to believe that obedience to the law will be the means of finding favor with God. Here's, here's the. You're already there. Good job. Um, the, the seventh thing I want us to think about here is this: that the Christian's under the law of Christ. The Christian is under the law of Christ. You go to Galatians, and in Galatians chapter, continuing Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says. You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You come into chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and listen to this, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Are you and I, if we're saying the old covenant has come to an end, does that mean you and I are free from law? Does that mean there's, there's no sort of obligations on us? There's no sort of regulation for our conduct. It means that it is time for us to live however we want to live, and we have faith in God, so everything's going to be okay. As Paul would say, may it never be shown you this chart uh, by Douglas Moo before, and I think it's a, I think it's a great expression of of the reality in which we find ourselves. There's an e- eternal moral law of God. God's character and God's God's perfections do not change. And God, and to one culture and one people, says, "Okay, here, the old covenant people, here's how you're going to live." And He makes a a promise to Abraham. You receive the promises that are. That are yours by faith and then he gives them the law hundreds of years later so okay now under the the, the law you're going to live to kind of point you to this this new covenant and as you come to the old covenant you see sign after sign that the old covenant is a a temporary thing Hebrews talks about the the law going to be passing away Um, you see in the old covenant them constantly talking about this new covenant, a new king and they're pointing to those things but even as you come to this old covenant you, you find out things about God's moral law, His eternal moral law, and that the way He desires His people to live in justice and righteousness. But now, but now, you and I are under what the New Testament calls the, the law of Christ. This is this is for the church. And what do we see in 1 Corinthians nine about the law of Christ? What it means is that you and I aren't just free to, to live these lawless lives of, of debauchery and sinfulness, and say, "Well, I'm, I'm," you know. Once saved, always saved, faith alone, that's not what God has called us to. The law of Christ means, look, I I, I live my life, we see this in 1 Corinthians 9, I live my life with a passion for other people, wanting desperately for them to to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What it means here in in Galatians is, look, I, I have a perpetual obligation to live a life of love for others remember what does love mean love is a a commitment that we make to sacrificially give of ourselves for the eternal benefit of others and so the law of christ is a never-ending obligation upon myself to lay down my life on a moment-by-moment basis for others it's easy to be a pharisee right it's, it's easy to be a Pharisee. It was, it was easy, comparatively, for a Pharisee to say, okay, here's this law, Sabbath. All right, here's 39 things. Here's 39 things I'm going to do. And when I've done those 39 things, I've, I've fulfilled what God wants me to do. Okay, I need to make a sacrifice. Here's what I'm going to do to make this, this sacrifice. And what, is, what does Jesus say to the Pharisees? You guys don't get it. The the law was not meant to be a a legalistic document that you followed in order to find favor with God. The person who has that approach to the law is cursed. The law was meant to be a a tutor, to to point people to me, to live by faith. Now, as we're under the law of Christ, our ability to do this has exponentially increased because we have this, this faith in Christ, we understand the Messiah. And now we have this unending, never-ceasing obligation to love God and love each other. And this, from a human perspective, is much more difficult. That's what, you know, think about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you've seen that it's, you're told not to murder. I tell you that anyone who hates his brother is murdered. We see this, this increased ethical commitment under the law of Christ, and it seems impossible to fill. Wednesday, I was in a McDonald's parking lot, and I was thinking about the sermon, and I I I I realized as I was thinking about okay what's what's the you know uh as I'm in part 3 part 2 and I have got to I've got to finish this thing what is the the main thing that we as Christians need to grasp as we leave this section and begin to to look at this at at this the next sections I thought well it, it's it's this idea of the law of Christ we need to understand we're under the law of Christ now under the law of Christ we we approach we approach other people and and we approach the old covenant we say okay here's let me come to the old covenant under the law of Christ to understand what it means to live in the law of love. I'm thinking, okay, that, I'm writing that. I put, took out my, my phone and I'm in the McDonald's and I'm typing out uh, uh, law of Christ, need to love others, must love others. And then I hit, you know, put up my phone and I, I look down and I realize I've, I've stepped in some gum. And I say out loud, I'd like to punch the person who put that gum there in the face. If I could do it right now, I would. Look down. Okay, that might be a little contradictory. It's hard, right? It's hard. Our, our hearts are not hearts that are, are naturally. In, I would not have punched the person, but I might have given them a firm talking to, you with a, not a very good attitude. Our hearts are, are, are wicked. We we don't desire to, to love each other. But brothers and sisters, here's what I, here's what I want to I plead to you. If we do not follow the love of Christ, as Paul says, we're going to devour each other. We're going to eat each other alive if we don't love each other. And God's call in Christ is for us to love each other, to sacrificially lay down our lives for each other on a moment-by-moment basis, squeezing love as as we're squeezed in circumstances, love just, just pouring out of us in our relationships with one another, constantly asking ourselves, how can I bear your load? How can I care for you? How can I love you? How can I lay down my life for you? That is the law under which we find ourselves, and that's the law in which we approach the Old, old, old Covenant, thinking through that reality of our life. Let's go on. Number eight. We've got we to do this. Number eight. The Christian comes to the law and learns about God and the gospel. We, we, we've seen that. For example, we come to James chapter two, and, and James says, "Look, if in James chapter two, verse eight, "If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all." So the, the Christian is able to come to the, the old covenant and see God's character and, and see this idea of loving your neighbor, and understand what that looks like. The character of God. The law that supervised the people of Israel, we we, we see that revealed. It's a law that imprisoned Israel and all people under sin. The sin was revealed. The sin was increased. But even in, in that, the gospel was pointed to. Okay, last thing, number nine. The new covenant is different from and better than the old covenant. The new covenant is different from and better than the old covenant. This is, this is a hard thing to really uh, talk about in just a couple of minutes, but as we saw in Galatians, those of us who are Gentiles are, are now sons and daughters of Abraham, right? In other words, there is a, a continuity, a continuation between the old covenant and the new covenant. You and I are, are part of the fulfillment that God made the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, that the promise that God made to Abraham didn't just stop with Jesus. Jesus is, is part of the fulfillment of that. And you and I, as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, become sons of Abraham, we've been adopted into this, this family through faith. It's it's an amazing thing, an amazing picture. There's a, a man named Tony Carter. He's an African-American pastor who, who has a, a portion of one of his messages on a album called lyrical theology and he wrote a gracious article about the tendency of white christians to unintentionally keep black christians at a comfortable arm's length very very convicting and but even even as he recognizes that reality in that in one of his messages he he talks about first corinthians 3 and in first corinthians 3 it says that that all things are ours in christ and he begins to talk in this, this message that's quoted on this album. He begins to talk about all the different writers throughout church history. And how, as an African-American adopted in the family of God, these things are his. They're not part of someone else's culture, they're part of his culture in Christ. This is Paul is mine, Peter is mine, Moses is mine, David is mine. I can I can take I can pick up the Psalms, I can read them, I can put them down. They're, they're mine. He says, Paul is mine, John's mine, James mine. But then he goes on and says, Luther is mine, Calvin is mine, Zwingli is mine, Bunyan, Newton, Edwards, Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, J.I. Packer, Swindoll, Piper, he mentions many, Boyce, they're, they're all mine, he says, because I'm Christ's and Christ is God. And he's exactly right. By, by faith in Jesus Christ, we're part of this, this new family and so there's continuity, but there's also, there's also some differences. I encourage you to read through Hebrews, we don't have time This morning. But as we read Hebrews, we we read that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. We have a better priest. Hebrews chapter seven talks about our our better priest and how the old Levitical priests couldn't fully deal with the sin of the people. Jesus, he says, in verse twenty two of Hebrews seven is a better is the guarantor of a better covenant. We have a better sacrifice. We read that in Hebrews chapter ten. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better relationship that's created in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. Describes this better relationship. Quoting Jeremiah 31, we have a new covenant written in our hearts. There's a better reality. The new covenant is better than the old covenant because the old covenant was a shadow. We read that in Hebrews chapter 8. Now, this is talking about the Old Testament priests. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to enter To erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And and that's where we're going with the law in the coming weeks and months. You and I are now part of this this new covenant by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And under the new covenant, we're now under this this law of Christ, this perpetual, unending, eternal obligation to love God and one another. And we enter into that covenant not by works. We enter into that, that covenant... By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we entered in this new covenant, and then you and I continue in this new covenant by faith and not by works. And so, as we come to the Old Testament, we're not coming to the Old Testament to to figure out some legalistic things for us to do so that we can somehow find favor with God. Like maybe if I don't steal enough, or if I if I um, you know offer the right type of heart sacrifices, and we kind of spiritualize it a little bit. If I do just do these things rightly enough, then I can progress in my relationship with God. We come as people who've been received by God, by faith, recognizing that we continue in faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, who worked in a way that we could never do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the life we have in his name. We thank you for the forgiveness we have through him. Father, continue to sanctify us through faith in your son Jesus and let our our works of service flow out of a heart of love as we fulfill the law of Christ in our lives by your grace, by your work. In your son Jesus' name we pray as we cling to him. Amen.